Welcome back to the Cock and Ball Pod, the weekly look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Fen, leading this protest with a megaphone and a Jose Out banner. Uh, with me tonight is a man who protests every time a referee gives a foul because the game's gone soft since his day. It's Ash. Referees all wanker, mate. How you doing? All right, thank you. And alongside him is a man who shouts uh, to remain in the EU purely to allow the free movement of smos- soft, smelly French cheese. It's Jules. He was allowed to go down there, mate. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Good, thanks. Uh, and finally, sitting in the middle of it all with a high-vis and a clipboard telling us not to tweet that because it's libelous. It's our very own independent observer, Jim. Guten Abend, we get. Uh, come see, come sir. Um, so the soap opera that is uh, Tottenham Hotspur has rolled on this week, uh, starting with the, the well-documented and calamitous crash out of the Europa League uh, in Zagreb, uh, which left us feeling all sick to our stomachs. <laughs> um, was it a case, though, of us underestimating our opponents, or was it just Spurs even failing just to get on a plane, Ash? I don't think it was underestimation, because that performance was just fucking dreadful. Doesn't matter who you turn up against, you, you can't play like that. No matter what you're expecting them to turn up like, it was, it was so so bad. I mean, a lot of the blame so far has gone on the the players, hasn't it? In terms of the intensity, intensity and desire. But I refuse to put all the blame on the players for that reason. I mean, these are people that have made it to the top of one of the most difficult industries to get into. So if they've lost lost that bit of desire. It's one of the limited things that have caused it. So it's either boredom with tactics and training, uh, you know, this um, something going on in the dressing room or, you know, just confusion. And for me, it's the tactics all over. Um, he's asking us to defend deep, but press higher, which just doesn't work. It means we're trying to make up 10 yards whenever the opposition had the ball. And it just means they just pass around us. And uh, that leaves massive holes, which teams just play through, like, a, like asking someone to collect water through a sieve. See, Tom, <laughs> that is how you do a sieve analogy. <laughs> oh, thanks. I quite like your analogy, though. It's like, I'll probably throw this back to Jules as, a, as the owner of a golden retriever, that if you don't engage your golden retriever enough and teach it to do nice dog things, it's going to eat your sofa and turn it into, you know, assorted fluff on on an already messed up carpet. And I don't know if that's the right analogy to use for what's going on at Spurs at the moment, Jules. <laughs> Those slippers never look the same. Even Jose said so. <laughs> um, you make valid points. There seems to be a lot wrong and that really came out. I think attitude does come into it, um, undeniably. Um, you know, yes, there's big aspects of this which fly with the manager and everyone was very quick, of course, to jump on jump on Jose. But these are players who have just appalling end products uh, across the last sort of 30-odd games, if you exclude Kane, basically. Um, so I think, yes, the manager's at fault, but there are also an aspect of who of these players is going to look back and say, oh, well, 2020, 2021 was a good season. I think it's like a combination of short-term and long-term issues um, in this game. I think I wouldn't say I disagree with Ash. I think maybe I would frame it in a slightly different way, but we're probably coming to the same point that, for me, it felt like complacency. Like there was a sense that it was already job done and all that had to be done was turn up. I don't think it's things like laziness. Like I don't, I don't like it when people talk about desire because that doesn't really mean much. Um, but there was an obvious lack of tempo, and I think that probably is a tactical thing. 
I don't know how much of the lack of tempo is a confidence thing either, because I've noticed it on... Well, Sissoko is shit anyway. <laughs> he looks like a Sabuto <laughs> player, the way he has to, like, rearrange himself just to pass the ball. But just... <laughs> The whole squad in general, they seem to, nobody seems to be acting on instinct. How many times do we see uh, one touch football or, or just two touch? Which everyone seems to stop the ball, take a look up, and everything just takes so long. Maybe it is, yeah, but I, I kind of think, like you touched on instincts there, and I think that's kind of the problem, which is the long term thing I mentioned before that if you look at Spurs over the course of this season, there doesn't seem to be much idea tactically in the final third. The the tactic has been let's hope for some individual brilliance from Son or Kane and they can't just as soon as you you rely on intuition and a moment of magic which is what has carried Spurs a lot this season uh, it leaves you very frail to those times where things don't come off and even in this game like Kane had a couple of good chances he, he could have scored early on he could have scored towards the end Lamella had a decent chance about half an hour in where, like you say, it's probably a confidence thing. He just took a touch too many. Those things happen, but there was no, there didn't seem to be any coherence. And to me, it kind of smacks of this sort of arrogance that, well, we're going to win this because we're better players. And that's not always the case. Isn't that partly the um, Mourinho's whole philosophy is about Period, is it periodization? So players being able to make those decisions in the heat of the moment of their own accord and not being given rigorous tactical instruction in the way that an Antonio Conte or Guardiola does. Like I think he he lords that. But the Why way does he that he plays the Soko because he's the opposite <laughs> of that. <laughs> I do I, I do wonder that because if that that idea works if you've got incredibly good players in a way who you can yeah. trust to get on with it. Like, you know, I doubt Zidane needs to lecture to Tony Cruz and Luka Modric how to control a football match. But Musa Suzoko could probably do with a bit of guidance. He's like the blind leading the fucking blind out there. Like, it's honestly, he could, he could do with a sat-nav attached to him. <laughs> <laughs> All three goals were brilliant in their own right from a Zagreb point of view. But, like, the first one... The way that everybody's standing off him yeah. for so long is criminal. Um, the second one, it played through the lines from the middle of the pitch, just like seven players just aren't there. Third one's a good goal, fair enough. There was, <laughs> there was well, another the third one. one though, he, should have, he should have been chopped down. Yeah, if I could, if I could be playing on a yeah. Saturday and, yeah. it's, and the same lad has hit two wonder goals already and he's bearing down on goal. Mm. If he ran past three of our team, and none of us just took him out for a yellow card. Yeah. My manager would be absolutely bollocking us for that. Like, if, you're, if you're getting past me where the ball is, not both of you. I just have to say on a slightly more um, childish note, this lad got a hat-trick, probably played the game of his life, fair enough. And then I saw he was wearing 90, number 99. Yeah, so, makes me sick. So he's cancelled. <laughs> but shall we say for that, they should have been chucked out of the competition and we should be reinstated, right? Uh, yeah, it only seems fair, but then equally Spurs do need relegating for the direct yeah. issue, so maybe we just, you know, call it quits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from a meritocratic point of view, we, we we should not be in that quarterfinal. That said, I'm pretty sure that Zagreb haven't been in a European quarterfinal since 1970, uh, so just let that sink in a bit. But yeah, it, it's slightly worrying times, I think. <laughs> He's almost like neoliberalism in football management, Jose, and letting the players 
be completely free thinking to to be able to do what they want. And I, it, it's I do find it strange when you've got that much freedom that you don't know what to do with it. I think that's kind of how we'll feel when the pandemic finally ends. <laughs> but all of these pubs are open. <laughs> how do I choose a pub? Am I the only one who's realised how many times I'm going to have to actually come up with a better excuse now than like, oh, we'll get a drink when this is all over. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a worrying separation between attack and defence as well. And people can, or players can be as free thinking as they want, but if they're not going to be, there still needs to be a degree of teaching them to to move as a team and move up and down the pitch as a team. That's how the best football teams operate. And we're not doing that. We have a back six, we have a front four. The two do not seem to speak to each other. Um, it, you know, it's, it's like a slightly awkward argument uh, about Brexit in a pub and it, you suddenly got a divide across the table. It's like, do you, you remember the Fiat Multipla? Probably the ugliest car ever produced. You. you haven't seen it, look it up. But it looks like they had the top half of a, you know, a decent car. They had the bottom half of another car. They didn't quite fit together. So they just got a skip and just went bang, right, try and force that to work. And it would have made the ugliest thing ever. And that's Tottenham. Tottenham is a fear multiplayer, in my opinion, at the moment. <laughs> well, you asked why the defence was so far away from the attack. And it's because Jose is asking us to do two things, like I said earlier, which just you can't do. They just, they're incompatible, which is defend deep, but press higher. This is also just a massive missed opportunity for us as a club, first and foremost, um, to go into a quarterfinal when there isn't really a team in this divi- in this competition who, in my view, is like stand out heads and shoulders better than us. To lose from that position when you're two 0 up in the first leg is mm. just awful, really. Um, and that, that and that should overshadow everything else. Is just how poor that result is and and where it leaves us. It's bigger than a bad result over ninety minutes, isn't it? There's clearly exactly. Exactly. a cultural issue here that has been going on uh, for several years, certainly in my opinion anyway. And it's something perhaps Lloris was touching on in his interview at the end of the game. I'm sure you've seen it. It's seven and a half minutes. I mean, I know a lot of it with him is um, um, <laughs> he, he is very eloquent and he chooses his words carefully. Uh, and they picked up on the word disgrace, which, which is what I picked up on. But it wasn't just a little headline. He used the word disgrace. He said it twice in, in the answer to the opening question. And then at the end of the interview, he referred to it again. So that's a very deliberate choice of, of words. Yeah, probably the most damning interview I've seen a Spurs player give. And it covered, and or rather uncovered, all kinds of nasty kind of points which we maybe have been hidden from due to the privacy of the training ground. But poor training attitude, laziness of teammates, fundamentals of the game not working, a lack of cohesion. He also said you know, that players didn't listen to the manager because the manager gave clear instructions and then they were either ignored or misunderstood. Um, he also made a comment which I thought was very funny about, um, or rather quite sad, that players need to not just come out to the press and say they're committed, but but to actually be that. And you can't help but look at certain players who are happy to come out and do the press and or put a photo of their Instagram of, you know, working hard for the next opportunity. But <laughs> job done and, and, they're, and they're clearly fucking not is the answer for me it just kind of shows the value of a player that is not only eloquent but feels able and capable of expressing his mind in a way that's just interesting 
obviously this is in a context of things not being great and as a narrative that that's kind of more interesting certainly from like a, a media point of view it's a better story if, if if players are talking about kind of scandal and intrigue but just on a more kind of normal human level it's it's really interesting to hear players and coaches say things that they think rather than putting it through this filter of sort of media trained banality it's like fensive again but one that actually works like <laughs> sips out anything interesting yeah listen to a previous episode of context particularly at the moment it just feels to me like we're all missing the kind of routine and the excitement of football in a way that we would normally have because we can't be there and these interviews and little insights are the only snippet we have it's the only way you can really get into it. And it just, the, the Joe Hart thing is another product of this constant, let's media train, batten down the hatches and not give anything away. You get to a point where a Spurs keeper can't manage his own Instagram account because he's commercialised it out. And the agency executive that's in charge of his account can't be asked to even check the score. If you're a normal functioning human being knows how to breathe and put one leg in front of the other you just wouldn't do that would you it's really refreshing for hugo louise to go we were really bad and there's something wrong here it's nice of someone actually to tell you what the problem is and not to be taken for a mug it's a bit like anyone in a relationship has had that problem with a partner where something's clearly wrong and they're just not telling you what the issue is it's just nice of someone to actually come out and just say look this is what's this is what's going on. This is what's wrong. This is what we've got to do to fix it. I noticed Jules was the only one brave enough to make a an audible sound. There. <laughs> <laughs> and what do we think? I mean, we've we've kind of spoken about, and and I agree, Jim. It's it was refreshing to see it. It was uh, you know incendiary but clear, and you know to give that insight, as Ash said, it was was remarkable. But where does that leave us now? Like, like he's kind of that dirty laundry is aired. What mm. you know, <laughs> cat is out of the bag. Somebody that used to work for a couple of football clubs said to me a few weeks ago: managers don't lose dressing rooms. Players don't turn on a manager as long as that individual player is getting what he wants. Said so what normally happens is there's no such thing as losing the dressing room. You lose individual players who will then talk to other people like directors of football or chairman or what have you, and that chips away at confidence in the manager from above him rather than below him. And so basically you only get to a point where players don't want a manager to be there en masse anymore if that manager has upset half of your squad individually for one reason or another. Tick. I don't just want to see him fired. I want to see him fired out of a fucking cannon at this point. <laughs> <laughs> just like Rocky from uh, from Chicken Run. <laughs> He's Mrs. Mourinho's chicken pies. <laughs> Fen, do you not think the rock goes too deep for this to just be the manager? I, I wonder if that's kind of cutting the head off, but it goes deeper. Maybe. Um I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. <laughs> it's a multifaceted ah. issue, isn't it? Mm. There's um He's biting it... into a pie and finding out it's vegan. <laughs> is that a multifaceted yeah. issue? 
I mean, surely there are there are more issues with biting into a meat pie, Jim. But uh, <laughs> we won't get into that. Different podcast. But yeah, yeah, like you know, if you bite into the pie and the pie is rotten, then you've got an issue. And if that pie has been sat on the table for the best part of two to three years, and then you bite <laughs> into that pie and it, oh, actually, yes, this is full of rotten meat. Uh, and yes, you have a Tottenham pie. Uh, and I think I think that's what's going on there. The Potts touched on it, didn't he, when he talked about having this lovely stadium, but there's no point having this nice home if you've got no furniture to put in it. And then around that time, we didn't sign anyone for about two years. And the rotation in the squad in terms of exits and uh, entrances just was not there. There was still a lot of characters around that you kind of think, well, maybe Potts was alluding to them. Maybe when Trippier was saying things when he left for Atletico Madrid, that there were also those issues still there that were never actually addressed. I don't know whether this totally almost exonerates Jose because he will say, well, I inherited a bit of a poison chalice here, or in this case, rotten pie. It doesn't exonerate him, does it? But Not because totally, no. in this context, he's proven himself to have one day been an oak cuisine chef and now he works at a high school serving up slop at lunchtime. Like, he's not a very good cook anymore. Easy. But, no, but, like, on a, on a serious note, it is a, it is a genuine point that get rid of Jose Mourinho, bring in Julian Nagelsmann if you want, but unless you change the ingredients, your pie's pie is going to turn out pretty good. much the same as it was, I'm afraid. Like, yeah, yeah. Squad profile is not good. You've got a lot of players that you're not going to get anything like the resale value for. There are a lot of positions where you've got players that are average. I'd look at this season and go, well, Spurs are kind of on the cusp of European spots, but next season, Chelsea will be better. United will probably be better. Liverpool will be better. Arsenal will be better. You know, there are not many sides that are playing above themselves, possibly West Ham, possibly Leicester, but Spurs are going to have to be better to stand still next year, I think. I'd argue that we're a bit more stale than rotten. I don't think it goes that far. Um, and I do think we'll be better next year purely because of the players we've got coming back from loan and Skip and Sessegnon. But also because if we had a new manager with more progressive tactics, you can get more out of those players than Jose's doing at the moment. Like there, There's managers in the, in the Prem that could do a better job. Ash, you're that guy who gets the meat out of the fridge, gives it a sniff and goes, it's all right. It's not. It's going to make you sick. We I'm should probably move on from the yeah. pie analogy now. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you have just made me think Gareth Stale and I can't get it out of my head. Now. Yeah, I mean, beef regio. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a slice of the Premier League pie then. Um, Full disclosure, didn't actually see it live, uh, gamefully employed. So, fortunately, I didn't see it. I need you to guide me through it. Um, obviously, the win against Villa is fantastic. It was the game in hand that we really needed to win. Uh, let, let's talk about it from a tactical point of view to start with. I mean, the lineup uh, I was able to see before kickoff. That was a bit of a shock. It was very different to usual uh, for a start. Vinicius was uh, playing amongst uh, Tanganga and Rodon. Uh, a few names that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, so, start with you, Ash. Um, how, how did we look in this sort of new look slash old school 4-4-2 come, whatever it was? What was it? <laughs> uh, it was pretty much a basic 4-4-2. 
but our wingers had a bit more freedom to actually move about, which was nice to see because we haven't seen much. I mentioned it last week, that lateral movement is what we've missed. Having players make themselves difficult to mark by actually moving. I think the result masked a multitude of issues that were still present in that game. We played our most inexperienced defence, um, played them deep and just had uh, as open a midfield as we could possibly have. So without trying to sound too depressing, I think we got away with it a bit, Tom. Nice. Jules trying to <laughs> um, paper over the cracks a bit better than Ash didn't try to do. Um, I, I thought it was, certainly as a viewer and as a fan, it was a real comfort blanket kind of moment. <laughs> Going back to old school 4-4-2. And we didn't just embrace like like looking like a 90s team. We played like one. Like we hit the channels, we looked for the second ball, we were much more aggressive in the tackle. We 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 played yeah, I mean we almost played like nineties football. <laughs> and you could almost see the sort of the Teddy Sheringham alongside a bigger forward. You know, we had we even had the like the thug centre mid alongside the creative one. And there was a clear desire and attitude, I thought, to respond to how poor Thursday had been. Um, but I will agree with Ash in that the quality and the way that we played it it was satisfying that day but it was probably close it, it was the kind of football Burnley would be proud of and there's <laughs> nothing wrong with the way they oh, did there that is. well <laughs> I, don't, I don't I have I have no issue with playing with playing 4-4-2 and occasionally using the channels and doing that even though I I prefer you know a shorter passing game and fast to choose but the, my point is I think it was great fun to do that. And it's a nice comfort blanket, which kept us warm on the day. But in the long run, that is not a sustainable way of playing to try and catch up with the teams that Jim's listed out, the direction that football's going in, the quality that, that top teams are reaching with, with the way they play. Speaking of long term, what did you make of Tanganga and Roden's inclusion? Because they had an instant impact on our defence, to be fair. Tanganga was great. Mm. And Rodon was no worse than any of our any of our other centre backs, and for me that's why <laughs> that's the standard. Dumbing the same phrase, Well, but I mean, but, but in the same way, you know, I, if it was me, I'd be looking at next season and trying to give end of the season and next season and trying to give Tangango or Serkin or Sessegnon, skip all those players you just listed, Ash. They they've got to be the future of the club. Like, let's get them playing. They're not doing any bloody worse than Sissoko or or. No one's uh, doing worse than Sissoko. I think Taganga showed a lot of intelligence as well. In particular, there was that moment where Barkley had the shot and there was more experienced players. Um, that he he literally, he ran over from the right-back position. He ran past the centre-back and past the centre-mid to make that block that were just standing and watching. And whilst that's fantastic to see Taganga do that, it was worrying to see the other players just standing and watching. I would probably err on the side of seeing the positive in that, to be honest. that I think that's more of an indication of his intuition if you like i think this game if you view it in the context of having just gone out of europe then i can kind of understand why you're a bit down on it but imagine that joe hart's pr had been right and it was three nil spurs on thursday i don't think anybody would have had a massive problem with this game you know, would have just gone. That was a pretty routine win against a side that was missing their best player and is pretty average. I mean, let's be frank about it. Spurs for the opening 28 minutes were terrible, like yeah. really, really poor. I thought, but then 
one moment of brilliance, pretty good goal, and from there on in, pretty comfortable. And sometimes that's all it takes. You don't. I think we've mentioned before, you don't have to be on it for 90 minutes. You just have to take what you can get from games. You know, it's not a one of the games that's going to go down in the aisles of history as a, a classic, but it's fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the dog meme. This is fine. <laughs> What's your, what was your thinking of uh, the game time? Am I just being as bitter as a lemon peel? <laughs> I don't know because I didn't watch it. As an outsider looking into a game, he didn't watch it. You know, it seemed, you know, absolutely, this is fine. This is uh, just what we needed. But I think Jim's Jim's right in what he says about if the result on Thursday hadn't happened, we would not be having this conversation in in, in the way that sort of you've brought it forward, Ash, which is why I think Thursday was actually a bit of a blessing in disguise because we kind of knew that this, (laughs) this meat in our pie was, uh, was was there to be sniffed at, but you know, oh, no. Thursday kind of perforated that crust. Uh, <laughs> Are you deliberately making so it as issues. vile as you can? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've just had a pie for dinner, so it's very, so literally very close to home. Isn't it mad to think that we are sixth with nine games to go? Three yeah. points off four. I, it's, it, do you know what I mean? Like, it feels, I suppose Jim at times has pointed this out to us that, you know, you can feel like everything's going wrong in your world, but actually, you, might, you know, maybe maybe we're kind of holding ourselves to harsh accounts because we're having to sit through what's quite drab football each week. But we are we are sixth. Like, if you know, if we get Europa League by league position, would did any of us really expect more? Still can't work out if this is a crisis. It's actually it's, bothering me that we've been teetering on the edge for so fucking long. <laughs> Come on, pick a side. Is this a crisis or not? Get off the pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite pumped for Spurs being uh, England's inaugural representative in the Europa Conference League, <laughs> to be honest, because <laughs> you know that's going to happen. And then you're going to go to places even more barren than Krasnodar and Carabag and still end up losing in the quarterfinals. <laughs> well, before we do move on, there was one other thing that I wanted to uh, discuss from the game, and I might surprise you here, but I really hate that our penalty is given as a penalty. Um, it's similar to the Sanchez situation where, in this case, Harry Kane has decided that he doesn't need the football to play football and ran into the sliding defender who's just trying to block the ball. I can see why it's given. There is contact. It's technically a foul, but what else is Matty Cash supposed to do in that situation other than try and block a cross? I was just say it was nice to not be the villain of our own story for once. Was <laughs> <laughs> oh, that a pun on villain as that well? Was, that that was a pun. We're really Never working this hard tonight, aren't we? <laughs> Speaking of working it harder, as always, we put stuff out on the socials uh, at cock and ball underscore pod on Twitter. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram as well. Don't just search Cock and Ball, it's weird. Um, search the podcast as well. Unless you're um, into that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter for you. You it's, do you. It's not for me. Not, <laughs> not for me. Maybe not the thing to say. <laughs> as normal, we, we, we put out social media to try and gather people's thoughts. We don't always have to welcome Spurs related content because. No one really actually wants to talk about Spurs after time. We'd rather just forget about it all. Uh, so uh, pod favourite at own brand on Twitter. Uh, I sort of said as, as part of our um, 
request to try and get a bit more responses out of people. It can be about anything. It could be about soap or soap operas or absolutely anything. Uh, and he said, after the imperial leathering we took on Thursday night, it was a good result last night. Uh, Tanganga looked as good as he's ever done. Lucas full of energy. Venetia's off the mark in the league. Uh, best of all, we don't have to worry about losing the game we had in hand, which is sort of all points recovered. But uh, he's absolutely right. I also love the idea of an imperial leathering. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds a little bit Brexity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of soaps it is it is a bit of a soap opera watching spurs at the moment Jim. yeah i saw a thing the other day uh, after united got leathered speaking of imperial leathering uh <laughs> off leicester on sunday it was delightful and um i can't remember who it was but somebody put on twitter saying united without trophies is just a shop and I thought, <laughs> Spurs without trophies is, well, Spurs. <laughs> but it's, it's quite a soap opera. And I was just thinking to myself, if Spurs staff were soap opera characters, who would they be? And I've got to be honest, I didn't get very far, except Eric Dyer would be Phil Mitchell. <laughs> I don't feel like I need to explain that one, because it should explain itself. And Harry Kane would be... Zach Dingle, because everybody likes him. He's going to go through his whole life without really making that much of an impact, despite everybody liking him. And he just like looks at this point like he'd be happier if he could just go off and be a pig farmer and leave <laughs> this world. I think for me, a better Phil Mitchell might be Steve Hitchin, particularly that meme in the Amazon documentary where he's talking about the January transfer window and he just says I hate it and he just looks down the camera and he looks like but Phil Mitchell in the, the alcoholic era living rough on the streets drinking out of a paper bag that kind of Phil Mitchell thing it's very strange to, to hear your head scout talk about transfers with the words I hate it considering that is his sole purpose at a club but... one of our favourites Matt Reid on Instagram wanting to know which of us would be the best football manager and he wants to know what changes would make to the club. But I think in the interest of not boring everyone to death, we'll just have one what one change would make. So, George, you'll know, uh, stake your claim. Or do you think somebody else here would be better? Uh, I don't think I would be very good because I think I'd wind <laughs> I'd wind the players up very quickly. Um, I'd piss them right off. Um, if I could make one change, I'd make it mandatory for us to have four youth teamers uh coming into the uh in in every 25 man squad every year um just to try and kind of force our hand a bit more to have young players promoted through into the team jim and fen you've 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 been a managing duo um and you both know me quite well do you agree i'd be a bad manager and and do you think that you'd do a better job yes <laughs> um, love you but yes uh, you <laughs> Certain players are totally, as soon as they set foot on the pitch, they're a totally different beast. They just become uh, very, very stroppy. Uh, <laughs> Jules is very competitive uh, and not always level-headed, dare I say, in the middle of the park. But I think, yeah, me and Jim are a good duo. I think Jim, we Jim's did. quite shouty. He's kind of like a, a Sam Allardyce, Sammy Lee kind of scenario. <laughs> I, I will stand there quite fairly calmly trying to keep it all together. And then Jim's just 
Fucking hell, ref! <laughs> Come out of nowhere. Fair, I was, I'm trying to hold was, everyone back. I was more tactical than that. But, I mean, I did I did one time say, fucking hell, ref, that's never a penalty because it was a foul on the halfway line. Like, <laughs> Yeah, sending the referee. Was, and then, and then he came over to me afterwards and was, he did make, the referee did make the point, yeah, okay, fair enough, it wasn't a penalty, but you were already three and held down. I was like, yeah, okay, fair point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we did lose our first game I think it was officially recorded as 18-2 or something because uh, yeah. they, they actually lost count of the lost goals count. we were conceding. Uh, we put the count that as was close the reserves, to 22. <laughs> that was the reserves, yeah. Uh, and they were in the fucking reserves for a reason, a lot of them. But <laughs> <laughs> it's worth saying for, for posterity, though, we did then win the league by winning every single league game. So it kind of worked out okay. until. Until Jules popped up for an opposing team and put us out of the cup. Uh, <laughs> but I would make, uh, just on the ta- on the changes thing, uh, I'm going to cheat and say two things. I'd bring in Max Ahrens and also no fouls in your own half. Wow. I thought yours I mean, would be only numbers 1 to 11 on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then only bring on, you know, 12, 13 and 14. <laughs> It pisses me off having this many substitutes as well. Like, I've, I felt sorry for some of the players on that bench because you just know there's no point having a bigger bench if you're still only going to have three subs. It really <laughs> annoys me. I could deal with seven subs. I liked five. I could deal with seven. I understand it. But what is it now? Nine? Ten? Nine? Oh, it's getting silly. Yeah, what's the point? It's like this. change everyone at half time like a Sven Goenakes and friendly. <laughs> It's like FA Cup, you can have five subs, but you can only do it on three occasions. Yeah. Ash, what give us your your state to the throne. Why why would you be a uh, a good manager? What would be your one rule? I mean, to be fair, in theory, I've I know I studied sports coaching at uni. <laughs> I should be all right, but I'll probably be like the stories of Roy Keane just shouting at players, why aren't you better? Just <laughs> just be better. Um I don't know. The only one rule I change at Spurs at the moment is nobody's allowed to pass to Sissoko. <laughs> Fucking useless twat. I'd, I'd, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I, I would love to see Ash like somehow bump into like Didier Deschamps. Does he speak English? Because otherwise we're going to have problems. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he speaks Italian. Maybe. So the best news to come out of Tottenham of late is that we don't have to play again for a couple of weeks because uh, it's the international break, uh, which means we normally scramble around for content, uh, struggling what to do. Uh, but we've decided to do things a bit different this time. Um, fully seen us talk about it before. Uh, Jim mentioned it, I think, the other week. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a spin-off podcast. It's called Third Eye. We're going to explore some of the other things going on uh, in football a bit more generally, away from Tottenham, uh, which means it will be far more nicer to listen to, probably. Uh, and as always, it will be in uh, fairly handy short uh, podcast episodes as well, uh, in all the same places that you find this current podcast. Guys, have we decided what our first third eye will be about? Because this international break is going to be probably the best time we'll, we'll actually do it, instead of just talking about it. Yeah, England and the Euros, isn't it? Yeah. And I think Euro, the Euros as well. There's something lovely about a summer, uh, about a summer uh, international tournament, isn't there? 
really props you up and gets you through <laughs> all those chances to uh, to have to have a beer and watch watch a game with a bit more a bit more pleasure and patriotism to it. <laughs> and I'm working from home, so I can watch all the games. <laughs> <laughs> but 2018 was just a great summer, wasn't it? We had a massive heat wave. England in the semi-finals. Love Island was popping off. It was a stuff oh. of dreams. I remember me, me, Jim and Jules were in a pub in Clapham, weren't we, for the, for the Croatia game. And it was just heartbreaking. It was a good time to be alive. As far as I'm aware, there wasn't a World Cup in 2018. So. <laughs> <laughs> we try not to talk about how on earth Dyer ended up in the England squad. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed your slice of Tottenham pie tonight. Uh, see you next time.